this morning on this lectionary passage from John 14 verses 15 through 21 is centered around uh, love and, and love for God. And I found this passage to be relevant in the way that it spoke to me about how we consider our, our value, our worth as a human being, especially in light of more, um, more, more deaths, more viral deaths of people like Ahmaud Arbery, and as well as just the, the situation that we're in with the pandemic and the treatment of some people um, that's better, more preferential than others, and just all of the decisions, the complex decisions that we're making as, as a country, uh, as, a, as a global um, community, and as individuals. And so the question uh, that I want to kind of explore through this text is, is really around how do we determine our value? How do we um, sort of uh, cope with the different things that happen to us in life, the different types of events that take place, the different people that we uh, encounter? What kinds of things do you find yourself relying upon? What kind of activities do you find yourself relying upon to help you feel valuable and worthy? Um, recently, I was talking with my son, Benjamin, and uh, he got a, him and Malia got a magazine in the mail. I think it was like, uh, like Discovery Kids, you know, like Discovery Junior kind of thing. So it was about animals and things like that. And in the front of the magazine were artworks drawn by, by different kids. And he's like, why are these, how are these drawings so good? And Becky was walking by. She's like, well, Benjamin, they're probably older than you and that kind of thing. And I looked down at the magazine and they weren't older than him. They were five, six, and seven and Benjamin's six. And I said, well, buddy, they're, they are around the same ages as you. This one's five, this one's six. You see the numbers there? And he, he said, yeah. He said, so why, why are they better? And I said, well, they might like drawing more and spend more time drawing, or they might have been more born with more innate talent and things like that. And everybody's not good at all the same things to the same level. And he said, I want to tear those pictures up. And I said, okay, yeah, why, why do you want to do that? And he said, well, because it makes me mad that they're better than me. And so, you know, we have this conversation. Uh, it went on for a little while. We, we talked about it back and forth. He even brought it up just the other day again. Uh, but it helps to illustrate just the struggle that we have with our identity and worth as, as human beings and, and how prone we are to compare ourselves to others or to compare uh, our relationships or our spouses or our friends or ourselves to other people and the things that we have and the things that we can do. And um, the problem is that never leads us to a very good place. Eventually, you'll be like Benjamin was with those drawings and you'll want to tear somebody else's stuff up. Uh, so what kind of alternatives do we see here in this passage? I'm going to read the passage. Uh, that'd be a good start, wouldn't it? And, uh, and then we'll start to explore this idea of 
of uh, value and worth and how that relates to this passage. So hear the word of the Lord, John 14, verses 15 through 21. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, this passage uh, is really interesting because uh, Jesus is, is talking about love and he's talking about relationship. Uh, and he connects all those things to uh, obedience, to following commands. And so when I read that first verse, verse 15, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. And the first thing that happens to me, it's sort of like an emotional and, and intellectual whiplash, is, is I think like, oh, well, here, here Jesus is, the same as the rest of the world, and he's asking, uh, or he's, he's demanding a transactional relationship with me. So it's just like, hey, if you want to be on the team, you've got to be able to do this many sprints at this speed. If you want to be in this group, you have to be cool enough, you have to have the right clothes, you have to talk a certain way, you've got to be from a certain place. Um, you've, you've got to earn this sort of spot. You've got to earn this place of privilege with me. And so the question is kind of like what Benjamin, my son, was asking. is like, how am I doing? How am I doing compared to other folks to be able to be and have love and acceptance and those type of things. And so that's a big problem for me if that's what Jesus is doing, the same thing that the, the rest of the world is doing. But, of course, I don't, I don't think that's what he's doing here. Because when we look at the actual commandments of Christ, uh, we get a little bit more insight into this, and it makes a lot of sense with the rest of the passage. So I want to just read a couple of of Jesus' commands from his most famous set of teachings, uh, the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 5. So I want to read to you two of them, one about anger and one about lust, and, and see what we see here, the pattern in these, in these uh, commands that Jesus has. So Matthew 5, uh, verses 21 through 24. He says, uh, you, have heard it, you, heard, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come 
and offer your gift. And then this command as well from uh, Matthew 5, 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, these commandments are possible for sure to look at and to turn it into a, a, another way of valuing your worth, your sort of religious worth. If you're, um, if you're angry one week and not angry at someone another week, or you lusted over someone or something, and sort of add that to the sort of, well, maybe I'm loving enough and maybe I'm not. But there's a heart to these teachings, and they're, they're expressed in all of them as we, as we look at them. And we see it in the Beatitudes as well. And the heart of it is to be able to view people as people and not objects. So in the first passage I read, not viewing someone as an object of your, your anger and, and your wrath. That they're simply an obstacle in your way. And that somehow that that is different from how you interact with God. But Jesus ends the passage by saying, if someone has anything against you, stop where you are if you're going to go before God. And first be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your gift. And the implication there is that our relationship and connection to God is also connected to how we view and treat the people around us, our neighbors. Um, and uh, those across uh, the continents are our neighbors as well. And the second passage is the same. He's talking about looking at someone as less than a person, using them as an object of your lust and your desire, and degrading them below their humanity. And so, objectifying a human being. We're all familiar with that, that type of phrase. And... Uh, to kind of culminate all of that, you know, in, in John chapter 13, right before in this conversation that Jesus is having with the disciples, he kind of sums this all up in John 13, 34. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so Jesus, when he says, what he says here in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands, he's talking to his disciples whom... He is preparing for him to bodily depart from them, to leave them. And so when somebody who you love is leaving and they're trying to prepare you for that, one of the things that might come up is like, well, how, if you're going somewhere I can't go, how do I interact with you or how do I think about you or, you know, what's kind of your requests around this? And, and Jesus says, if you love me, you won't be able to hug me, you won't be able to go places with me in the way we have before, but you can keep my commands. And when we look at the content of the commands, it's to love our neighbors, to treat them as this passage explores here as image bearers of God and even those who can co-dwell and co-mingle with God. So when you see it that way, wow, that's, that's a different way. It doesn't feel 
transactional to me than uh, sort of this way that I've I've grown up thinking about sort of you know a math equation here like if I'm loved by God that means I'm saved by God which means I have this private morality or I'm able to hold the right thoughts in my mind at all times and uh, then God will love me and then others will have to respect me or something like that and really that ends up boiling God down to an object as well. Uh, just variables in an equation instead of someone to have relationship with, which is what Jesus is talking about and offering here. So here's what I want to say about this and our value and worth as human beings. When we affirm the personhood of others and ourselves, we show love for God. That's what Jesus is saying. When he says, if you love me, keep my commands, that's what he's saying. His commands are to affirm the dignity and the personhood and the image of God in each person. So Jesus is saying, when you love others, you love me. Wow. So that changes things a lot. And when we continue here, we see an even deeper rabbit hole with this connection between how we treat other people and our disposition toward God. When we read in verse 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. I want you to listen to all of the interaction between what we call in Christianity the Trinity, this, uh, this um, three-in-one God, that God is represented and reveals himself to us through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus and through the Father. So Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. Uh, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And many transcripts actually say, and is in you. Uh, skipping down and halfway through 18, he says, uh, you will see me because I live, you also will live. In verse 20, he says, I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Again, it's totally possible to take, to look at these passages and sort of turn them into a math equation like, okay, if I do this for Jesus, then the Father will do this for me, and I got to make sure I say the right things to the right parts of God for Him to honor or accept me or give me something uh, that, that I desire, some love from him. Uh, but really what I think is being emphasized here is that at the core of who God is, is unity and relationship. And so it would make sense for Jesus to say, look, before you try to come before God with some kind of gift or sacrifice, hey, think about the relationship with the person over here next to you and what state that is in. That's not different. That's not a side issue from your relationship with me. I myself am in relationship with myself through the Godhead. And so what we see here at the core of the divine is relationship. It's not a type of transactional 
measuring how good this or that is or how often you've done this or that and your private connection with God. At the core of who God is, there is a relationship between three beings in one person. And Jesus invites us into that and even says, we are already in, uh, we're, it's, it's already there for us. We just have to tap into it. That is an incredible idea. That changes so much of what I think about when I think about relationship with God. So there's a, there's a part here um, that I skipped over when I was rereading the passage in verse 17. And I want to reread that part because knowing that and knowing that we are so connected and that's like the heart and the core of the divine is this unity and this interconnectedness and this relationship. And why is it so hard? Why is it so hard for us to, to love each other and to love ourselves and to be loved? Because most of us probably didn't grow up schooled in that type of thinking about relationships. And so in verse 17, speaking of the Holy Spirit, which he refers to as the spirit of truth here, he says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. And this is, this is sad because I know I, I still spend lots of time uh, not seeing the people around me as image bearers of God, of people that if I were to connect with them, I would be getting a deeper connection with God. And I go to the words of Thomas Merton now to help sort of clarify some of our thinking around this. So I want to read to you uh, this quote from Thomas Merton as he wrestles with these ideas. He's speaking of identity and worth. He says, in order to become myself, I must cease to be what I always thought I wanted to be. And in order to find myself, I must go out of myself. And in order to live, I have to die. People imagine that they can only find themselves by asserting their own desires and ambitions and appetites in a struggle with the rest of the world. They try to become real by imposing themselves on other people, by appropriating for themselves some share of the limited supply of created goods, and thus emphasizing the difference between themselves and the other men who have less than they, or nothing at all. They can only, they can only see one way of becoming real, cutting themselves off from people and building a barrier of contrast and distinction between themselves and other men. I just want to read that last sentence one more time. They can only see one way of becoming real, cutting themselves off from people and building a barrier of contrast and distinction between themselves and other men. Now, I for one know that I've spent time doing that in life. And part of, part of me accepts the idea that I've learned about in human development classes and things like that, that that's a necessary stage for human beings, an ego-forming stage um, to be a, a, a fully developed 
human being. The problem is when we never grow out of that. And we think that our identity and our worth rests upon the distinctions that we draw between us and other people. And probably many people will take this very verse about the Holy Spirit and use it to that ends. But when we look at it in the context of the rest of these verses, we see that there's an alternative way of living. That what a spiritually mature person is able to recognize is the unity at the center of our universe in the divine trinity and within us. So much so that Jesus starts this part of his discussion with the disciples by saying, if you love me, obey my commands. So if you love me, love other people. Just like he says, I give you this new command. And so that's what we're being invited into, is to see things in a different light, to see reality not as a means of making contrasts and distinctions in order to get our worth, but instead connecting with our worth that is inherent in us and in God, that we are to be in relationship and unified with each other. Doesn't mean we don't have our own identity, just like the Trinity, Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, have their own identities yet coexist and in unity and mutual support, the paracleresis or this dance uh, that some theologians have talked about in terms of the Trinity. And so if you're interested in shifting your thoughts and perspectives, you know, a great time-tested way in our Christian tradition to do that is through contemplative prayer. So uh, visit with Diane on Zoom at 8 p.m. on Wednesday nights and, and start to cultivate and develop uh, that um, ability to tap into those things. These are not things that you can just like make sense of rationally and then, then it all changes for you. Uh, it has to connect in a heart uh, way, in a deeper, even subconscious type of way. That's why at Christ City we emphasize being connected with our feelings. Uh, so that we can better understand ourselves, so that we can better connect with God and other people, and our, our eight practices, uh, and even the, the Enneagram. Those things can help give us a foundation to explore these ideas more. And in this time right now, when we're, we're kind of faced mainly with just a few relationships, it gives us uh, a big opportunity to consider these things and to consider how we might shift from measuring our drawings against somebody else's um, to learning how to have a, a grounded spirit within the unity of us, our neighbor, and God. And so I hope that this morning uh, this scripture spoke to you. I hope it encouraged you. I hope it blessed you.